people just trying to build, they say they're MVPs, but they're just very robust MVPs that kind of defeat the purpose. So they don't really, you know, they're trying to do way too much and it doesn't do that one thing that actually matters. That's Mike Williams. He's the founder of Thinkbox, a startup studio in Santa Monica, California, and the company that's behind several successful startups, including Studio Time and YoRumi an app which was built in less than 30 days and sold in less than six months after getting a ton of press and being listed on eBay. But more on that later. What Mike is talking about is the biggest mistake entrepreneurs make when building an MVP, a process that Mike has focused on continually refining because it's this strategy that's really at the core of his success as an entrepreneur and founder. This is Hack to Start, a podcast that focuses on amazing people who have an interesting story or perspective to share and their insights on how they got to the level of success they have today. I'm Franco Variano. And I'm Tyler Copeland. Today we're speaking with Mike Williams, an athlete, semi-pro cyclist, and pilot turned entrepreneur. While in high school, Mike was a pretty good wrestler, but he knew his sport had limits. So he decided to pursue his passion for flying instead. While in college, he was exposed to the world of cycling that led him to becoming both a semi-pro in the sport and an e-commerce entrepreneur selling high-quality bike parts to other cyclists. This experience led Mike deeper into startups with him building and selling his first company, Codity. Mike then brought his team together at Thinkbox, a startup studio in Santa Monica, where they're now focused on building more great products. They've already successfully built and backed several startups, including Studio Time and YoRumi, a platform for finding roommates which was built in less than 30 days and acquired in less than six months after. Mike joins us to share his story, how he built and sold his first company, Codity, how he approaches building MVPs, what it was like launching YoRumi and having it acquired in less than six months, how he built a chatbot in a weekend, the biggest mistake most entrepreneurs make when building an MVP, and much more. So let's get started. Hey, Mike, thanks so much for being on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, man, we're super excited to have the chance to, you know, speak with you today and get to learn more about you and all the cool things you've been up to, uh, especially with Thinkbox. Uh, I really like the model and some of the things you guys have worked on there. But before we dive into that, can you tell us more about yourself? Like, where are you from and what did you study? Yeah, so I'm actually originally from Atlanta, Georgia, or right uh, north of it. Uh, I spent most of my childhood kind of teenager years there and then actually went to a college, Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University, so uh, majored in professional aeronautics. That's amazing. And what, what drove that interest, I guess? Yeah, so actually it was a, uh, believe it or not, it was a last minute kind of whim decision. I was actually playing sports in high school and was on a wrestling scholarship. I actually trained at like the national level and then with some like world-class athletes wow. um, throughout high school. And basically, I foresaw the end of my career, uh, as you can imagine. There's only so far you can go with uh, wrestling, and especially in college. So to be honest, I got kind of fed up with being, uh, I think, an athlete uh, in an educational environment and that you really just don't learn anything. And then I also realized that throughout high school, I really didn't learn. Um, I didn't know how to study or anything. So I just thought, now's my chance to kind of get out of it while I can. And as a kid, I'd always dreamed about flying. So I literally just applied to Embry-Riddle, which at that time was the top aeronautical school I could find. Got accepted and went from zero hours to commercial pilot in about two years. No way. That's incredible. Where, where were your, some of your favorite places to, to fly over? 
I would say I probably flew a few hours every day, but I, I did a, a majority of my flight training out of South Georgia. So I would usually fly out of Macon and then I would fly to the coast. That was always great. You know, flew back up uh, north to Atlanta, down to Florida. So primarily in, uh, it was in like South kind of region. That's incredible. And so throughout that, you know, that short history that you've given us, where did your passion for like tech and startups kind of develop or come from? How did you go from flying planes to being in tech? Yeah, so that's a great question. Uh, I want to get pretty good bit. Um, so it actually originated, uh, I would say, during the time that I was actually studying the, through uh, aviation school. At the same time, I was actually cycling. The way I kind of got into cycling was was in high school. I got injured and I kind of picked up the sport. I became pretty obsessed with it. And one of the things that really had piqued my interest, I would say, was the actual equipment. I just Basically, what I did is I just became obsessive and I always wanted better, better, better. I began going online. This is like early in the kind of like forum days. Uh, and actually, it was like an admin of a lot of the bigger forums. And I kind of now looking back at it on retrospect, what I was really doing was kind of built, like community building. And through that, I actually bought and sold bike parts. It was a pretty lucrative uh, kind of small business to have, you know, as a, a teenager. Uh, that kind of progressed. I actually met a lot of my friends I'm still friends with now um, through cycling and started an e-commerce company that was based around cycling goods at that time. Uh, so I'd say that's it was kind of like my first uh, foray into it, which is a kind of it was out of obsession and passion and kind of my hobby. Uh, and that did kind of evolve into an e-commerce company. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, personal needs and, and, and desires to learn about stuff are, are usually the best way of, of jumping into something right away. So it's really cool to hear that, you know, you had that, that type of e-commerce career going early on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so from there and, and with school, like how did you start more of your, your tech career? What were some of your first few jobs or businesses to, to really, you know, propel you into the industry? Yeah, so at that time, as soon as I graduated, as far as uh, college, kind of faced with a dilemma. I had been cycling throughout that time period because I had the e-commerce company. One of my friends who, who's a little bit older than I am, he was actually a, a developer and he has been my CTO through every company since. At the time, he had told me, hey, you know, you're, you're very passionate about cycling, you know, you're, you're flying. And then, you know, he along with a lot of other people basically convinced me to, to pursue cycling to the full extent that I could. Um, I could always use flying. I could. That was kind of like my crutch. But I was pretty. I was pretty talented as far as when it came to the cycling aspect of it from a racing standpoint too. So I actually pursued being a professional cyclist for a few years. That's what actually got me like a semi-pro team and then a pro team, which actually uh, was the reason why I moved to California. And from there, that was kind of a launching platform to say, okay, here's the kind of top end of cycling, and then that really kind of segued me into tech. Wow, that's a pretty crazy story. And what was it like training, you know, over the course of the two years to, to achieve that level of, of professionalism in those different tiers of teams? Yeah, so it was, I, I, you know, for me, it was, it was incredible in that I really got to push myself not only physically, but mentally, I kind of got to see the kind of top end of the barriers on that. I really did also become friends with a lot of other incredible, just the absolute top athletes out here that I would train with every day. So I was just really fascinated on how far can I push myself? And then, you know, how can I learn from others that have push themselves and they've achieved the top line of success through that. Uh, so, you know, for me, I was just like totally just fascinated by that. I did kind of see, see that like, Hey, I'm, I'm not 
the, I would say I don't have the, you know, not naturally kind of gifted to be at the, at that top level. And through that, I kind of became more interested, I would say in the business side of the cycling team. So I did actually kind of kick in more on that end and then get, get exposed to the operational kind of business and marketing side for one of the teams that I did end up writing for. So I actually did uh, run a lot of their marketing initiatives at that point too. And from there actually met someone that got me into recruiting, which was kind of a, the next segue or you know point of my career, I would say, which was actually the origination point for Codity. Yeah, absolutely. And I wanted to speak a little bit more about Codity and, and I guess, you know, your your buddy who's the CTO who came along with you to help you build yeah. that. So how about how about you just tell us a little bit more about what Codity is all about and what really motivated you to start that at that point in time? Yeah, so Codity was a talent uh, sourcing platform. A good analogy to use for it, and this is especially true at the time, was like an eHarmony for jobs. This this is probably, I want to say, like in around 2012 or so. I had been recruiting for about a year, year and a half, uh, built up uh, a few different kind of teams within this organization. The person that started the company took me under took me under his wing and really just taught me the ropes of probably more from, I would say, like a sales standpoint, not as much of the tech side, since I'd already had a lot of exposure to that. Uh, but what I actually began doing is using a lot of these tools that were in the marketplace. So that was everything from you know the other kind of, I would say, sourcing platforms all the way through the hiring process to like the applicant tracking systems and kind of all the way to the point of onboarding for new employees. At the same time, I just knew how much of a huge pain point it is and a need to hire the right talent within the tech industry. So what I did is I actually began in that process of recruiting, which is the service I was in. Uh, and I know a lot of people kind of think it's like a taboo industry to be in. You know, that taught me a lot of salesmanship. But I also began to validate a lot of the assumptions that I had first kind of thought could be productized. So for instance, you know, when I would talk to both candidates and companies, kind of intake questions that I would ask both of them, and then how I'd really get to know, you know, and understand their hiring needs eventually kind of became the product of what was then Codity. That's really cool. I love how you're like, you know, hacking together the the version, you know, the first version of the platform and the, that would yeah. become the product through the process. And so on that note, like how sophisticated was the recruitment, you know, industry at that point in time and what kind of tools or processes were you using to, to really build this first version of Codity? So it was extremely fragmented. You know, there were a lot of people that were building these kind of quote unquote platforms, I think you could say that were, were in essence, just like a kind of a service layer on top of a few landing pages kind of wired together. And then on the totally opposite side of that, you had these very specialized kind of platforms that are tools, I would call them, that just solved one kind of pain point within the hiring process. So for instance, you would see kind of like code evaluation platforms, you would see, you know, video interviewing platforms with kind of like a whiteboard kind of comments on the side of them. Yeah, and nothing um, tying all that then, information together. Exactly. Yeah. So this was, you know, we raised a little bit of capital on that. I was a solo founder. So I was, I would say I was pretty ambitious in that, you know, our strategy was kind of our mission, which was to, uh, you know, alleviate the pains of the hiring process. We were a very development heavy team. So we pretty much tried to solve the, the problem holistically. We started with the sourcing. So we did build a lot of the kind of the matching as far as from like an algorithm side. 
you know, we did a lot of like predictability modeling as far as, you know, not only the matching the data, but how do we get more accurate data? So we did uh, like a lot of the job templates, because when you ask a hiring manager internally or, you know, the CTO, a lot of time, if it's the CTO, they'll obviously be able to identify their precise hiring needs, but a lot of times they can't. So we, we did that kind of with the, the job uh, templates that we had and then the matching. And then we actually kind of moved beyond. So we did build our own video chat kind of interface within our own applicant tracking system and then also integration within the um, actual kind of onboarding process once a hire is made. So it was a very, it was an end-to-end solution. And it was, we, we definitely tried to solve a lot of problems through building product. Yeah, for sure. And so what was it like trying to get, you know, your first few customers on the platform? How did that whole process go for you? To be honest, it was such a big, um, and it is still a persistent problem. Hiring is. I don't think it's a it's a huge, you know, hard sell to get the companies on the platform, especially since we weren't taking a commission uh, as far as for a replacement fee. So that that wasn't really a, a, a huge problem to start out with. What was was when we actually started working with our first ten, you know, fifteen to fifty. Um, what ended up being over five hundred companies is that they use multiple products and there's a lot of our, the usage of our platform, we had to do a lot of product integrations. Um, so there's really no kind of standardized hiring process that's in place. It, it just varies drastically from company to company. So if our product was, you know, if we were trying to solve, you know, the problem end to end, it was a very, uh, I would say it was a very ambitious, you know, way to approach it. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds, sounds like a big problem. <laughs> <laughs> Super complicated. Yeah. yeah. So Codity was was later acquired by AngelHack in 2015. So what was that whole process like of going through that acquisition? Yeah, so that was a really interesting uh, process. Since we did solve the, you know, our product was kind of an end-to-end solution. Um, one thing that we did get very early was a lot of interest from a lot of bigger companies to do like a lot of kind of, in essence, white label kind of solutions for them. And then a lot of product integrations with a lot of the other uh, tools in the hiring space. So we did those. Um, we had one acquisition offer that we entertained very early on. You know, to be honest, it totally consumed what we were doing at the kind of 12th hour of this. As you can imagine, our kind of runway was coming to an end or we were going to have to raise. Uh, that deal fell out. So I don't think it was a ideal situation at the time. But, uh, you know, and it was definitely not a big win. But I had a good relationship with AngelHack since it was a very complimentary, you know, company to what we were doing. And there was a lot of value that we added to them. So we did, you know, I, I did make that happen kind of at the last hour. Better than the alternative for sure. <laughs> exactly. So you then founded uh, ThinkBox, a startup studio based in Santa Monica. So can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, what motivated you to launch ThinkBox and what some of the specific uh, industries or spaces you're most interested in exploring with, with that company? Yeah, so that's a good question. So the reason why we started ThinkBox is we wanted to get back at what we were really passionate about doing and just remove as many external constraints as possible. So I still had my core team and to kind of bring back the CTO that was along for the first ride of the first company I'd started when I was cycling. He was also my CTO at Codity. We basically just kind of met up again, not not like the next day, but, you know, after the acquisition was kind of done and, you know, we're in the next phase of things, uh, we just kind of thought like, hey, what do we love doing? What are we super passionate about? And it's just building products. We wanted to remove all the constraints of having to focus on just one thing or one, you know, one market 
market. So we basically just said, you know, we're better off doing this together as a team. We get along, you know, together great. We have all complementary skill sets. So we just banded together and just started any inbound that we all had, whether it was from design, you know, from kind of uh, from a pure backend standpoint or more product and the marketing side that I would kind of get. We just packaged it all together on Thinkbox and, and uh, you know, literally just started off with kind of our first project and went from there. It's amazing. I love that story. And so one of those first projects was a, was a product in a startup called Studio Time. So can you tell us more about that and what really led you to you guys to want you know to launch that? Yeah, yeah. So that, that's a really good question. So since we were kind of a, I would say, a, a startup studio model in its infancy, you know, we did our kind of our, our whole vision for, for Thinkbox was to be able to ideate and launch our own companies, work with, with other companies, and also make super early stage investments. You know, to be able to do that, you actually have to kind of launch your own company internally under that roof. So, uh, so Studio Time was our first company that we were going to ideate and launch internally. It literally just kind of originated from seeing friends that are in the music industry uh, you know, first off, how passionate they are about the space. I mean, I think we're all, you know, have our favorite song or, you know, appreciation for, you know, our favorite artist or whatnot. So it's a very emotionally involved, you know, I would say uh, industry, which is a huge draw to it. But, you know, I just saw that, hey, there's this kind of sacred space in, in the industry that, you know, the everything from the kind of conceptualization of coming up with, hey, you know, the songwriting process to post-production typically revolves around the studio. And yet there's really no way to discover studios that are out there. Um, you know, a lot of artists I, that I were friends with didn't even know what was out there, you know, and then how do they kind of book them? To go beyond that, the other services, there was really no existing solution. Um, so this is also during the time when there was pretty much like an Airbnb for X that launched for everything. Given that I had the ability to just build something very quickly and then also just identifying the need for it, obviously, it was for me, it was kind of like a no-brainer. I was like, all right, I just, I just have to build this thing. So I picked a open source kind of platform that's out there uh, called ShareTribe. And then one evening just made a quick and kind of dirty prototype that didn't even really work. It didn't even have like the booking uh, kind of component actually built. Launched on Product Hunt Monday morning and for studio time, you know, the rest is kind of history on that. It pretty much took off from there. Yeah, that's incredible that, you know, you, you were able to just grab an open source thing and, and change it a little bit, but didn't even have the booking component and it still took off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I actually built that, though, when I needed it. So when someone actually requested a book, you know, I did the kind of, uh, you know, work around hack to send them an invoice and then kind of match that myself. And then I actually decided I needed to build it. So yeah, for sure. So was PR part of the strategy to in order to like validate the, the proof of concept? Or is it, you know, you knew that it was going to work anyway, and you're just like, hey, let's launch this thing and get some PR? Yeah, so I don't think anyone ever knows if it's truly going to work, and and I didn't. But you know, from a tech side, I didn't really have the conviction in the actual kind of build since it was such just kind of like a hack together myself. So I really didn't want a lot of press. I just wanted to kind of like commit myself to having it out there to see if it was worth pursuing. To be honest, to kind of do that, I just launched it on Product Hunt Monday morning. The first article that we had that came out about it was, I think it was Fader, um, which is an industry publication uh, in music. And from there, we just kind of had like a trickle effect where, you know, someone else picked it up. Hypebeast uh, sent me an email and they wanted to do like an exclusive as far as an interview on, you know, who is behind it? You know, wh what are we trying to do in the space? So I did that and then it just kind of it ramped up from there. So I don't think it was really intentional, but I definitely rode the wave of that when it when it came my way. 
really cool. And then, you know, partnerships became fairly significant to the business as well with companies like SoundCloud and Reverb Nation coming up to you guys and wanting to do some stuff together. So how do you approach, you know, managing those those partnerships, not only to continue to grow the company, but also to be able to bring in, you know, revenue or additional services to the community that you're building around the product? Yeah, so those were actually both inbounds also. SoundCloud actually, one of the executives was going to be in LA. So they actually met, sent me an email and just requested a meetup. I think it was like two or three days after we launched. So that was, that, that was like, for me, that was huge conviction, you know, and like, hey, I need to put some time and effort into to really focusing on, on building this thing and scaling it because there's a big need for it. You know, the way that we kind of partnered with them and then also Reverb and others, and which I kind of w- was interesting, um, that I hadn't really ha- had happen before with Codity or any of the e-commerce, anything else, was that we were in a unique position in that we weren't, we were kind of genre agnostic. So we, we have studios, everything from home studios to top line kind of private destination studios. And it wasn't really just hip hop or it wasn't, you know, country or acoustical. Like we have some that, you know, can, can host like, 45 piece orchestras. So what I was kind of fascinated by that I found out through these partnership kind of requests is that, you know, we were respected in the industry. Um, once we kind of got a little bit of credibility, pretty much just by cross genre and then everyone from aspiring artists, cause we actually helped them get into studios to, you know, working your way up to the kind of top line artists through kind of collaborations and whatnot, which all are typically in the studio and part of the process of, you know, making music. So it, it was very interesting for me in that, you know, I, I think it was, for instance, like Reverb, we just simply did like a studio time kind of giveaway. And that, you know, in their mind, added a tre- tremendous amount of value to their user base, where for us, you know, it was a huge draw because it's a huge audience of aspiring artists, which is perfect. Absolutely. And so going a little deeper into that, how do you, and especially with like some of the other stuff we're going to talk about in terms of MVPs, but like, how do you walk the line between, you know, credibility and and validation? I mean, you know, like it's one thing to throw up a landing page with, with a little bit of vaporware, but then how do you figure out like how to execute and build something from there? Or is that like not necessarily important in your perspective? Yeah. So I think for us was we, we just started with Literally, our core kind of value prop is pretty easy and it's kind of implied through the name Studio Time. And we just kind of stuck to that. So, you know, at first we did try to go horizontal and have service offerings and whatnot through it and just create a little bit bigger illusion because we wanted to ride that that kind of, I would say, that press wave. But, you know, with that, we did have like a, I would call it, you know, looking back at it now, almost like a false growth kind of fallacy, which is, you know, with all that kind of inbound and attention, you kind of do, I think, it is kind of like, in, like you mentioned, kind of like vaporware in some sense, right? Like people come there and it's like, are you really the best site to book studios? So, you know, through that, we really did have to kind of refocus some and say, let's just really just kind of stick to our core value, which is being the best site to book studio time. So we did have to kind of circle back and, and, and actually kind of kill off some of the other initiatives that, that were we thought were huge opportunities to simply get back to doing one thing best. It's really cool. And so one of the other apps that you guys built following studio time was Yurumi and you guys did it in 30 days and then it was acquired in less than six months. So can you tell us more about that app and what went into making that happen from start to finish? Yeah, yeah. So this is all with the same team that I started out with Codity and Thinkbox. So these are all kind of Yo Rumi was one of our next ideas. Um, that originated through like a Friday morning stand up where we literally just kind of pitching ideas to each other. And usually it's from, 
hey, I, you know, I've tried out something or I have a problem, I think that we could build a better solution. Obviously, because we're kind of product focused and you have the ability to build fast. So I was actually moving from Venice Beach where we had like a uh, kind of lived work uh, loft for our office. I was moving to Santa Monica, which isn't that far, but with the housing market out here, you know, I was looking at getting a roommate and I just literally thought, hey, there has to be a better solution to this. To make a long story short, you know, I've gotten lucky with roommates and hence kind of what a lot of like my kind of nickname of Yo Rumi. A lot of my friends, I've actually been roommates with in the past and they've come from Craigslist or just kind of word of mouth, you know, tagging friends on Facebook. Uh, so we thought that there could be a better way to do it. And we were going to build an app to do that. And what, what we did with this and kind of taking our, our learnings from studio time was let's just literally build just the easiest way everything from you know the UI UX of the app to like what our actual kind of I would say like goals are with the app from a product side you know long term let's just make the easiest way to find a roommate you know let's not like get into like doing rent or any of that kind of stuff so our goal was to kind of not only that but it was to perfect our process or not perfect but fine-tune the process of going from an idea to an app in 30 days which is pretty ambitious uh, so we kind of you know all, all these different products we built over the course of time you know we just wanted like a real world kind of use case to do this with and that and that's how we got to your roomie and said all right like let's do this and that was kind of like the timeline that we put on it and then also that gave you know me and my team, I brought on one one person on the team at Thinkbox to help with growth and kind of the marketing side of things. I kind of groomed them, I want to say, for about seven or eight months prior to that. So this is like the perfect test to give them a product that we ideated. And, you know, this is their chance to kind of lead the launch on that. So for sure, that's really cool. And did, was the intention to have it acquired as well? Or did that just happen it, to come along? It, it actually wasn't. Given kind of how we build a launch companies, the realization is they have to kind of be funded from, you know, our balance sheet or, you know, we just have to invest kind of like sweat equity in it. So we really, to be honest, like we really didn't know where it was going to go. But really fast, what we did was we just kind of saw the end outcome potentially. And what that was, was either we had to take on outside capital or we had to figure out a way to generate revenue. And just given the, you know, that's consumer facing app for find, a, find and message roommates, it had to get to some sense of scale. And that would take a lot of resources to get there before we could monetize. So what we did is we just identified here's potential exits for us in the space. And we kind of just what we did is identified them. I reached out to them and we kind of figured out, like, how do we really create like a strategy to literally just focus on selling it? You know, to be honest, that's what we did. And I just sold super hard, I'd say for about two months on it. And uh, we got we got really far with two different potential deals. And I, I don't know if you've like kind of heard about it or not, but uh, we, we got a lot of press because I actually put I put the whole app on eBay, uh, kind of like Justin Kahn style, you know, what he did with one of his first companies. But what that did is that created a sense of urgency and just some kind of transparency and saying, hey, if someone wants to, if, if you guys want to acquire this this app, then, you know, there's a time, a fixed kind of time timeline on it. And that did create a little bit of, I would say, a little bit of buzz around it too and whatnot. But it did give our ideal outcome or ideal kind of acquirer, it did get them to commit. And, you know, it was kind of a Hail Mary, but it did work at the end of the day. So what a cool story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I don't I don't really recommend it. Um, I've had a few people ask me about it since then. And, and that's definitely not our goal is to, you know, we're not trying to build apps or companies and sell them on eBay. I'll say that. Yeah, don't sell your company on eBay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you've also been exploring, you know, the messaging space quite a bit uh, and re recently published a really great article on, on Medium that we'll link to about, you know, building a messenger bot in a weekend. So what's your sort of approach for validating an idea and then executing on the MVP? 
Yeah, so that's a great question. I think for the sake of that kind of chatbot, for me, it was the it, the pure process of learning. So my success outcome for it was called Art Chatbot, or I guess you could say still is, was simply to learn more about chatbots. And for me, typically, the best way to learn about something is going to be to speak with the, you know, bounce ideas off the best people, domain experts, kind of couple with that is just by doing and building. So that was just something that I just set out. And I said, you know, within two days over the weekend, you know, I'm not going to start Friday night, I'm going to start Saturday morning, you know, I just literally just want to build and launch and get some sense of validation on a chatbot that's live that people use and people love. So that was kind of it was like a weekend project pretty much. It's really cool. And does that tie into Thinkbox at all? Is that something that you know, you guys are planning on going to is messaging sort of like a space you guys want to explore in the near future? Or is it just personal learning? It was personal learning, but that does affirm that we are going to be kind of moving more into that space for sure. So I've been kind of fascinated by, I would say, like conversational design through chatbots. And, you know, I think it goes together with, you know, native apps in some sense and just kind of, you know, learning about both of them and kind of comparing and then figuring out like potentially either whether it's, you know, we have our own ideas or existing companies, you know, say, for instance, Studio Time, how do we leverage, for instance, either a native app or a chatbot or, you know, some other form of technology to enhance the experience or you know if it's down the road with another concept or you know company build it and validate it faster yeah absolutely and so you know we've we've done a lot of talking about mvps in, in general but what are some of the most impactful tools or resources that have changed the way you know you sort of think about startups or execute on on mvps yeah, so that's, that's a really good question. So I think that it's not as much of a tool, I would say, for instance, but I'm a huge fan of Facebook and Facebook groups in particular. I think they're amazing in that they're typically they're interest based and it's an existing community of people that are incredibly passionate about something, you know, and it, it takes some time to kind of weed out as far as credibility. But for me, like that's my default now instead of like Google searching something is going to Facebook, joining these groups, just kind of listening to the conversation that's going on. And for instance, it might be something that's kind of based you know, around a certain certain market that I think I want to enter in the future or build something around, you know, and what that does is, you know, you get the, the knowledge, you see that the existing conversation, so you can also then identify your kind of first potential users. So that's something that I actually did when I was with the kind of chatbot that, that you brought up. This was about two weekends ago, but I kind of open sourced, you know, a way you could call it, but the actual, the entire process of the build. So I joined a lot of these chatbot groups on Facebook and actually met a lot of incredible people, the chatbots magazine uh, kind of team, um, you know, Seth, who I think you've had on previously from Botlist. But you know, I met all these people through the process or through these Facebook groups, kind of got them involved in, in the process early. And then, you know, that way, when I was also ready to launch the chatbot Monday morning, you know, then I also had not only these existing kind of communities of people that it was relevant to, but also highly credible people, you know, that were in the chatbot space that were paying attention to what I was doing. So I would say from like a kind of tool, I, I guess you could call it a tool or not, but you know, I'm a, I'm a really big fan of Facebook groups right now. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. It makes, it makes a lot of sense. And from a strategy perspective, exactly. It's like, you know, you, you get to hear what the conversation is. You get some of the early movers and influencers and adopters uh, on board or at least identified. And yeah, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. Going, I guess, a little bit deeper from there, what are some of the biggest challenges or mistakes you think other entrepreneurs make when they go ahead and create an MVP? 
Yeah. So I think that one of the things that I usually see a lot is just people just trying to build, they say they're MVPs, but they're just very robust MVPs that kind of defeat the purpose. So they don't really, you know, they're trying to do way too much and it doesn't do that one thing that actually matters. So a lot of the, our kind of clients with Thinkbox have been doing that recently. And I think that, you know, I kind of see it, uh, everything from, you know, first time founders to even some serial entrepreneurs that, you know, when they kind of look at, well, okay, what are my strengths? And it's the ability to build product. But that kind of supersedes the ability to market something and, and kind of validate and really listen to users. Yeah, absolutely. It's a really good point. So do you have any you know final thoughts or words of advice for other entrepreneurs out there who are looking to build some products of their own or who are struggling to find traction with products that they've already built? Anything for them? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, one of my biggest things is just is just learning by doing, you can really just learn a lot by launching side projects. You know, I know a lot of your other guests have have been big on that, too. But you know, when, when you get something out there, you know, it's something you've built and you get real feedback. I mean, that that's huge. That's better than kind of, you know, consuming as much content as you can and trying to learn about something and just simply not not doing. So I think that kind of practice itself is amazing. Something else I'd say too is that, you know, you don't have to like swing for home runs all the time. You know, you can kind of learn along the way and, you know, all these small wins just, you know, keep stacking them up and get to where you want to go. Awesome. Mike, thanks so much for taking the time to be on the show today, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd love to hear about it and have you share it with friends. Find us on Facebook or Twitter at hack to start or drop us a line, hey at hacktostart.com. You can also subscribe to avoid missing any future episodes by finding Hack to Start on Apple Podcasts, Breaker Audio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening.